If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Uh, we are in an extended series in the Gospel of Mark uh, through the school year, in any case. And we have arrived now at the new year, Mark chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. Uh, hopefully this uh, Thursday, the Thursday morning men's group would meet. First, we were canceled for 42 degree below windchill, and then uh, it's too much snow in the driveway to assume that people would be able to get out. Uh, but now this, uh, this Thursday, the second half of the Calvin's chapter on faith which, if you remember way back when we started this, I noted to the men, and I think from here as well, from the pulpit, that the most carefully written thing that Calvin ever did, he wrote that book over five times, re-editing it and lengthening it and re-editing it and lengthening it, until within just a few years of his, his death. But his stated purpose, his stated purpose was so that people would be able to get more out of their Bible more quickly. So, he wrote what he wrote so that you'd get more out of the Gospel of Mark than you might get otherwise, especially when you're reading it on your own, more out of the Gospel of John, more out of, and you name the, the book of the Bible. That was the stated purpose, that our faith be built up by the Word of God, and that's certainly our purpose as we gather this morning and look at Mark, that this parable of Jesus would be used to strengthen our faith and deepen our understanding in the nature of God's world and in the nature of being disciples in God's world. So with that said, let's stand together. Um, Mark... Chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do praise you and thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And you tell us to be sure that we are among your people. 
who say to ourselves and remind ourselves day by day that your steadfast love endures forever. Our trials and tribulations don't endure forever. The kingdoms that we see around us in the world, other than your own, will not endure forever. But your love, your steadfast love for your people, that love will endure forever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to learn to think this way so that when we find ourselves in times of distress, as many are in with weighty problems, that they cannot solve, that seem so painful, so enduring, that they would call out to you and you would answer them from the place of your broad sovereignty. Lord, if you are for us, there's no need for us to fear. For what can man, what can the world do to us. If you are for us, if you are our helper, we know that in the end we will look upon the judgment and the ruin of all those hating you and your people, regardless of how powerful and in control they may seem to be in the present moment. So, Lord, teach us as we enter a new year that it is good to learn to take refuge in you. Far better than to trust in men. It's good to take refuge in you. Far better than to trust in politicians. That all the nations that surround us that are opposed to your will and way, in the end, will come up short. You will cut them off. We pray, Father, that you'd give us this confidence as we head into a new year, experience the various news cycles, experience our own trials and tribulations. May we be confident through Christ our Lord And give you thanks, for you have been good to us in Christ. And your steadfast love, as ultimately revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, will endure with us forever. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll be seated. short little parable of the mustard seed. You ever wonder, why would Jesus tell us this story? Why would he talk about the kingdom of God being like a 
mustard seed. He has a purpose. Jesus is never randomly just rattling on. Uh, He always says whatever he says for a purpose. Sometimes he tells us exactly what that purpose is. For instance, in the parable that we meet, beginning of Luke 18, Jesus does this just that as he begins to tell it. Luke records it this way, Luke 18, 1 to 7. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So in other words, he tells them right up front, I'm about to tell you a story, and that story has this as its goal, as this as its purpose, that you will pray always and not lose heart, which implies you're going to be very tempted to lose heart because of how it goes with prayer and God and living in God's world. And he goes on. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. In other words, she prayed and nothing happened. We all know about that. She prayed and nothing happened. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? They ought always to pray and not lose heart. Tells us a story to try to persuade us. Remember this story. Don't try to figure out what I'm up to at any given moment. Remember this story. And if you do, it'll tend to help you to pray always and not lose heart. It's the first mention of that little phrase, that little verb, lose heart in the entire New Testament. Paul goes on and uses it quite a few times, especially in 2 Corinthians, don't lose heart, don't lose heart. Well, I think that same broad theme is related to the unstated purpose in the parable of the mustard seed, where we're told that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. really small, apparently really insignificant. 
but that eventually grows into something. You thought much about what this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about was made up of as he was talking about it on a day like this? Of course, there's him, there's Jesus, um, former carpenter. Peter, James, and John, former fishermen. It's Levi, former tax collector. And most of the rest, we don't know what their professions were, what their trades were, other than that they had something that had sustained them, these Galileans. And they're following Jesus around, and he's talking about them as if they're a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is like this seed, this tiny little mustard seed. As I say, Jesus himself, when we get to Mark chapter 6, Jesus will be referred to this way Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James. Are not his sisters with us and his brothers? And they took offense at him. We know this guy. We know he couldn't be anything. And we know something of those following him. And we know they couldn't be anything. And especially in the backdrop of what everybody in the first century would have considered a real kingdom, the Roman Empire. Now there's a kingdom for you. Big, powerful, overwhelming. As far as the eye could see in every direction, Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire. What is the kingdom of God compared to the kingdom of the Roman Empire? Well, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Or is it? And so Jesus tells us. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Not the Roman Empire. No, it's a really bad comparison for the kingdom of God to compare it to the Roman Empire. So what is it like? It's like the grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds of the earth, and yet it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so that the birds come and build nests, in its shade. See, we need to hear things like this. As we look around, people of God, relatively insignificant power, influence in our world, and vastly more than they had. Vastly more than they had. 
Don't lose heart. We state our thesis for this morning this way. We are not to lose heart at small beginnings. We are not to lose heart at small beginnings. And things are beginning all the time, all over the place. And they're often small and struggling. And you can easily become convinced that there's really nothing going on of any significance, but you'll be wrong. This is what Jesus wants us to know. You'll be wrong when you assume that. Three angles this morning, three aspects of this kingdom that he refers to. Number one, the kingdom of God often appears hopelessly small. It is like the grain of a mustard seed. With what can you compare the kingdom of God? And as we've said, not Rome. Not Rome. It looks nothing like that. If you compare it to Rome, then you'll say, the kingdom of God is a hopelessly insignificant little group of oddballs that have no discernible purpose whatsoever. If you want to get ahead in life, if you want to be who you ought to be, then you ought to just be thinking about the kingdom of Rome and what it can do for you, because it can do a lot. It's very strong, very large, very powerful, very influential. The kingdom of Rome. But what will you compare the kingdom of God to? Jesus said, well, you compare it to a mustard seed. Yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. It's nothing. Nothing. Tiny, small. Previous parable, you remember, we, uh, what else is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like somebody that goes out and casts seed on the ground. There they are. They go out, cast their seed on the ground. Kingdom, kingdom is like that. Kind of purposeless. Doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. Stan mentions his new, uh, new Sunday school class. Jim Power across the way. Well, Jim, he's going to be throwing some seeds at that class this morning. A bit of the Gospel of John. Cast it out there. Well, what's he really going to accomplish? Throwing a little seed of the kingdom of God or the various Sunday school teachers that will be spread throughout the building in the next hour. They're going to throw a little seed and some kids and some young people. What's really going to come of all of that? Casting that seed around like that. The kingdom of God is like a guy that goes out and sows seed. Kingdom of God is like the grain of a mustard seed. So we didn't like that about 50, 60 years ago. We said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is like the boardroom of a Fortune 500 company. And if you take the principles that you can learn from Babylon, the great city, and then you infuse them into the church, then you will get some mighty, mighty impressive stuff going on. And there's truth in that. There's truth in that. We got some mighty impressive things going on. But were they really this? I don't know. Certainly a different approach. Certainly a different thing to say, 
kingdom of God is like the boardroom of a Fortune 500 company, then it is to say the kingdom of God is like the grain of a mustard seed. Because the truth is, if you've read the word of God, you knew this. You could have anticipated this in the first century. The great kingdom of Rome will go away. Why do you know that? Well, because the kingdom of the Assyrians went away. And the kingdom of the Babylonians went away. And the kingdom of the Persians went away. The kingdom of the Greeks went away. And the kingdom of Rome is going to go away. And the American kingdom is going away. Right as we're living in this time. It's going away. Likely to be replaced by the kingdom of the Chinese, which will also go away. From beginning to end, these kingdoms, that's what's wrong with them, they don't last. What would you compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a grain of a mustard seed. It makes a small beginning. But somehow... It stays, it has staying power, remarkable staying power. And grows in remarkable ways to a remarkable degree, which is what he goes on to say, 32nd verse. Secondly, kingdom of God produces surprisingly great effects. This mustard seed thing, this throwing the words at people, it produces surprisingly great effects. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. It grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants. It produces really quite amazing results, and especially even on the individual level, right? I mean, Jim has already passed this in, in, in the Gospel of John, but John 5, 44, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now there's an effect for you. So here's somebody casting a few words around, and what happens through those words? Well, they hear God. And what happens if they hear and believe God? Well, they end up with everlasting life. That's what happens. Like, whoa. Wow. That's what God does. With his casting seed around on the ground and casting some seed at people. And with these small beginnings. And such a person, Jesus goes on to say, doesn't come into judgment but has passed from death into life. And that's the story of many of you. The kingdom of God. This group of people who have passed from death into life. Or as Paul put it to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, 
He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. How does that happen? Same way. This seed gets thrown around. And the Spirit takes it, applies it to a person, and applies it maybe to many people. And then there's five people over here and ten people over there, and then there's a synagogue in Nazareth with 30 people added, and then there's house churches throughout Asia Minor and Paul's career with 30 here and 25 there and maybe 50 over there. When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And the whole plant came from that tiny little beginning, that little mustard seed. Hudson Taylor showed up in China in March of 1854. 1854. He was a remarkable Remarkable missionary force. Organized, well thought out, culturally insightful, culturally sensitive. He would serve in China for 51 years. 51 years. He recruited 800 missionaries to China. 800. And when he died, when he died, after 51 years, there were 18,000 converts in China. 18,000 converts that they knew of in China, around 1900. And then he died. And so now the great missionary force is gone. Um, Mission historian Ruth Tucker described Hudson Taylor this way, no other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systematized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. She wrote that only about 40 years ago. Nobody like Hudson Taylor. So how's the thing going to do when Hudson Taylor dies? 1905. Well, If you think, well, it took took 50 years to get up to 18,000, so if they had another 50 years, at least hope for at least 36,000, right? But the Lord did a little better than that. In 1950, it was considered that there were a million Christians in China. A million. But unfortunately for them, a guy by the name of Mao Zedong came into power 
in the early 1950s. And he had a vision for an absolutely atheistic state. And he believed there was nothing more damaging to his visions of atheistic utopianism than religion. And so meant to stomp it out. So yeah, there's a million, 1950, but now one of the most ruthless and powerful political figures of the 20th century has them in his sights. But fast forward another 50 years. Mao only lived half of that. He died in 1976. By 2010, they list professing Christians in China at 105 million. 105 million. That's a pretty good-sized tree. That's a pretty good-sized tree. Like, wow. Similarly, gospel initially went to Nigeria in the 1500s through Roman Catholic missionaries. But the first Protestant didn't arrive until 1842, Peter Townsend. Peter Townsend starts a work for the Anglicans, 1842. Fast forward 150 years, 18 million Anglicans. 18 million Anglicans in Nigeria. 70 million people claim some association with Christianity and roughly the same amount to Islam, and the nation is absolutely divided in half. But what these people did was show up, and they started little groups of five people here and ten people there and 20 people over here, and they sowed this seed. And Jesus says, that's how it works, the kingdom of God. That's how God does things. When it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. Thirdly, this is just kind of a summary of these verses. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. In other words, if you want to know what Jesus means about the kingdom of God, or by the kingdom of God, what you'd want to discover, and it's not hard to do, what you'd want to discover is how Jesus thought about God. How does Jesus think about God? Well, we know precisely how Jesus thought about God because he told us. He thinks about God exactly the way that the Old Testament presented God to be. That's exactly what God is like. Not jot or tittle or nothing. Nothing differs. It's all exactly. It's all exactly. As the Old Testament said it was. 
in the margin of the uh, uh, NA27 edition of the Greek New Testament, there's a great set of cross-references. And across from this text, across from this text, this brief little parable, uh, the first one was what Russ read earlier in the service. Right? They're a little playoff of what's the kingdom of God like? What would you like in the kingdom of God to? And so cross-reference Isaiah 40 verse 18 where Isaiah says, what would you like in God to? What would you like in God to? And his answer is, there's nothing. There's nothing. You can't liken God to anything because he's absolutely incomparable. He's so great. He's so powerful. He is. You cannot. There is nothing you can compare God to. And I'll run you a series of comparisons, none of which work so that you'll know just how great God is. The kingdom of that God. That's who Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of that God. It's like a grain of mustard seed. The other two prophetic cross-references are both in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 31.6. This is where Jesus gets the the building blocks of this parable. And there's no doubt about it. Here and the Ezekiel 17 passage. These, this is the informing theology for this little story Jesus told. Ezekiel 31.6 And the birds of the heaven made their nests in its boughs. What's, what's he talking about? He's talking about the tree that is the Assyrian Empire. And the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And then he gets to the point. And under its shallow lived all the nations of the earth. The Assyrian Empire. The Egyptians under them. Syria under them. Israel under them. Everybody in the region under them. All the nations. The entire region. Absolutely subservient. Now that's an empire. But the next thing you know, it's gone. And Babylon's in place. And that's where Ezekiel's writing from. And it's bleak. It's bleak. Ezekiel's day, the Babylonians have come to power and they're absolutely ruthless. And they mock the kingdom of God. The psalmist in Psalm 137 opens talking about how it went. By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, and our captors required of us songs. 
and our tempters mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Okay, let's have a song about Jerusalem. Let's have a song about the temple. I know you guys, God's in the temple. Well, it used to be. We actually tore it down. Took all the natural resources, took all the gold and silver, precious stones. It's all in Babylon now. But that's okay. Let's have a song. Let's have a song about the temple. How humiliating. How utterly, utterly humiliating. Now there's a kingdom for you. Nebuchadnezzar. There's a kingdom. When I was a kid, we moved a little closer to Chicago from Rockford, Illinois. We moved within the WGN viewing range. Well, I already knew about WGN because my grandma and grandpa lived close enough to pick it up when I was a kid. And so whenever they're at their, their house, you saw all the cool shows that you could watch out of Chicago that you never heard of in Rockford. And, of course, Cubs games and all, all, all of that stuff. But on Sunday afternoons, they had this... Uh, They'd show old movies, and the guy would come on, and he would, he would introduce the show this way. When movies were movies. When movies were movies. And then there would be a, like a movie from 1944, you know, that, 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 that would be on. That's the, that's the old days when movies were movies. Well, things like Assyria and Babylon and Rome. When kingdoms were kingdoms. Not really. Because none of them last, and Babylon didn't last. But the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ has more people associated with it in the country of China alone than anybody in the Babylonian Empire could have even imagined. Kingdom of God is like that. God does stuff like that. The second cross-reference in the margin is the one that I want to leave you with. And it's striking. And it is the call for us to remember this as we go forward into 2023. Ezekiel 17, 23, and 24. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it. And it will, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches, a bird of every sort of nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree. And make dry the moist tree. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it.
This is directly where Jesus gets his image. People of God will be like, only here, it's much more impressive, a mighty cedar tree. Jesus downgrades that. It's like a mustard plant. Oh, it grows a lot bigger than you would think. But it's not overly impressive. But the God who produces it is overly impressive. That 24th verse, that 24th verse is remarkable. All the main verbs there are in what they call the Hebrew causative, the hifil stem, what God causes to take place. Placing extraordinary emphasis on his sovereignty. And all the trees of the field, that is, all the nations of the earth, all the kingdoms that have ever been, they shall know that I am Yahweh. I'm God. And what's he like? Well, he's like this. I am God. I cause to be low the high tree. It's got a history of it. Assyria, gone. Babylon, gone. Persia, gone. Rome, gone. That's something to keep in mind the next time you hear some of our cultural leaders warn you, warn me, warn our culture. You better be careful you don't end up on the right, the wrong side of history. What are they assuming? Oh, the trajectory, the trajectory of our kingdom. Ah, never ending. Whoa. Our vision of things. Whoa. What a joke. What a joke. Historical nincompoops. And we're to look out and hear that and say, I got news for you. Our God has a great record of making high things low. And he takes low things and he makes them as high as he wants. It's simply who he is. And it's confidence in him that you and I are to live out of. That's our God. That's the God of the kingdom of God. That's what he's like. That's who he is. And he knows you by name. Made you his own child. Invites you to walk with him and trust him. Love him and follow him. 
And that's what we ought to do. A lot of discouraging things at the moment. Lots. Lots. But you won't be overly discouraged if you remember this. I belong to the kingdom of God. To the kingdom of the God of Ezekiel 17, 24. I belong to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Provided my entrance through the forgiveness of my sins. Gave to me everlasting life. He's my king. That's the God and the king of my kingdom. The kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we head into a new year, may we remind ourselves every day of the coming year who you are. And how you have caused us to have a certain kind of relationship with you, as Paul put it, by choosing us in you before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before you, that in love you predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to the praise of the glory of your grace, which is all ours in the Beloved, In Christ Jesus, O Lord, we thank you, we thank you for our part in your glorious kingdom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.